So here's uh, two people that I want to briefly tell you about. One was, uh, he was a, a college freshman. His name is Luke. And uh, it was right around now, right the beginning of his freshman year. He'd been on campus uh, for about a week. He was going to school out of state. And he was not really, love, not really liking it. Um, his roommate uh, was kind of strange, very strange. And uh, because of that, he said uh, he was sort of avoiding going, Luke was avoiding going back to his room because he just kind of didn't like being around this guy. And that wasn't good. You know, he didn't even know where to go. He really hadn't made any good friends yet or even people that he was that comfortable hanging out with. His two best friends from high school were all at different colleges, um, and they were loving it. These two guys were loving where they were. They both happened to get very good roommates. They made new friends pretty fast. This kid, Luke, his school uh, was a very, very secular place, um, kind of dismissive almost mocking of uh, religion. And he is, uh, I knew the kid from school, his high school, and he was a, a faith kid. So this was uh, tough. He felt very much kind of alone in that regard. So he was homesick and, and really, really lonely. He's calling home. His parents know that he's not, they know he's struggling. And he wants to come home. And the parents are saying, you know, you can't do that. Just, it's going to get better. And he doesn't want to, he wants, he's not hearing any of that. Uh, his older brother calls him. And they talk. And uh, big brother keeps telling little brother, like, it's, it's going to be okay. You're going to meet good people eventually. All you need is one or two. And he tells his little brother, like, you just you can't come home. Um, you're going to regret it. You're going to regret not giving it more time. Well, that was not what he wanted to hear. The big brother felt terrible. Um, but he knew he needed to hear that. Luke, I guess, got off the phone and he's just more angry and more sad. Nobody likes to hear difficult truth, right? <laughs> I mean, why would we? There'd be something wrong with us if we, if we liked it. Listen to what Jeremiah says about being the, the bearer of tough truth, being a prophet. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. And then there was this girl that I knew, um, sort of from around the same time. This is a number of years ago. She uh, played soccer in college. And uh, 
She was now, at this point, she was out of college, maybe 24, 25 years old. She'd been dating this guy uh, during college and post-college. Her girlfriends, who were mostly teammates, never really liked this guy. They didn't really trust him. He didn't have a very good reputation uh, in terms of the way he treated women. This guy was kind of just a jerk, and uh, it was always drama between the two of them, because I think he was always on the verge of getting caught, and I think she looked the other way a lot of times. Well, anyway, they, they graduated. They're still together for another year or two. Well, eventually he got caught cheating, and they break up. And she was done with him. As she said she was done with him. A few months pass, and he kind of makes his way back. He wants back. They start hanging out. Her friends, her classmates and teammates, they, they you know, they can't believe. They think she's crazy. She finally was done with this guy, and now she's sort of letting him back in. One friend in particular tells her what she thinks. And she really lays into this guy and lays into her and says, you know this. You've known this more or less about him for since we were 20 years old. And you've kind of just denied it. And now you're getting older and we're getting closer to making some big decisions. And you trust this guy less. Well, that didn't end well. The friend, um, this friend, she knows she's right. But she was the only one who was willing to be honest. The rest of them agreed with her, but they just were afraid to rock the boat. But she spoke up. It's this whole Jeremiah thing. It's this, the word of the Lord, the truth, has brought me derision and reproach all the day. Like, in other words, it's not easy being a prophet, right? Prophets pay for their words. They pay a heavy price for speaking truth. Tough, hard-to-hear truth. Prophets can also be lifesavers, kind of game changers, because sometimes their words can be the difference. That college freshman, the boy, I officiated at his wedding uh, about two years ago. The girl he married, uh, most of the groomsmen in the wedding party, they were all from that school that he almost left or wanted to leave. But he didn't leave because he listened to his prophetic brother. And that girl who was dating the idiot, 
I officiated at her wedding. That was right around, right, I guess right after COVID. Actually, it was during COVID. It was a very, very small wedding. She didn't marry the jerk. She listened to her prophetic friend and eventually met a great guy. God, it, it could have gone the other way. In both cases, so easily it could have gone the other way, right? The kid could have left school. And he never would have known the girl that he, well, did marry. And the friends that he made never would have known them. God knows what would have happened to the, to the woman, what a disaster that marriage would have been. Nobody wants to be the prophet. And nobody really likes hearing from prophets because they just challenge us. They tell us things that we don't want to hear. I mean, it's Peter in this gospel. It's Peter's reaction in the gospel. Jesus to his disciples, guys, I will suffer. I'm going to Jerusalem and I will suffer. And by the way, so will you. So if you want to follow me, expect crosses. Expect to suffer if you want to follow me. Peter's response, no way, never, God forbid. And Jesus' response to that, he calls him Satan. Get away from me. That's a pretty intense response. Disagree with somebody and you call him Satan? Jesus must have really meant this. This whole suffering thing, this whole find a cross, lose your life thing, must have been pretty central. He must have really meant it. Because when Peter tried to squash it, he called him Satan. We all want to run, or I think most of us, we all want to run from the prospect of crosses, don't we? Again, I think it'd be a little, a little crazy to be like, oh, let me, what's a cross I can go running toward and embrace? We're not wired that way. I don't know, maybe it's an original sin thing. Jesus talks about the way God thinks and the way we think, the way God acts and the way we think. And he says, not the same. But he challenges us to think and act like God. And God says clearly in this gospel, suffering is part of the deal. If you don't have crosses in your life, are you running? Am I avoiding them? A friend of mine this morning texted me pretty early that uh, about Jimmy Buffett dying. I was surprised how kind of saddened I was at hearing that. I wasn't like a crazy 
Parrothead fan, but I really did love his music. Saw him two years ago at Jones Beach. You know, who doesn't love his music? You know, we always hear it when we're relaxing, when we're away, or at least when we want to be away. In the news later in the morning, I was watching TV and they, they were talking about him and they showed a clip of him singing uh, Margaritaville, some, some huge stadium, massive crowd, everybody's singing, everybody just looks so happy. It's almost like he created this, I don't know, like mythical concept, this place, this sound, this feeling, where you kind of get to escape, where it's just fun and warm and sunny, happy. These places we want to go when we're not feeling so happy and warm and sunny. It's like an escape, right? Maybe that's why we're drawn toward it. In fact, you know, he had the, there was a Broadway play not long ago about him and his music. It's called Escape to Margaritaville. I think our instinct is to run. We run to Margaritaville, not to crosses. If there's a cross on this side of the room and some aspect of Margaritaville is on this side of the room, I mean, most of us are looking toward Margaritaville. Most of us are inching our way there. We're not running to crosses. But crosses are what he calls us to. And I don't think that just means, like I think a lot of times we hear, yeah, we all have crosses and it's like, yeah, when bad stuff happens and you kind of have to embrace the bad thing that happened. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But I'm, I'm wondering, is he also saying, no, no, like, we are. There should always be some degree of cross in our lives. And if there isn't, are we kind of running away? I don't know, certain obligations, certain responsibilities toward people. We're not as present, we're not as committed, we're not as there as we should be. Because it's got kind of a, it's not easy. It's kind of cross-like. And I want to go to Margaritaville. He calls us, he calls us to be that older brother, that soccer teammate friend. They wouldn't run to Margaritaville. They spoke the truth. That was their cross. I have to be honest with my little brother. I have to tell my friend something she doesn't want to hear. Because she may make a big mistake 
and then find herself in a, a rotten marriage. And this kid, my little brother, may regret, he will regret that he didn't give it a shot. But if I say those things, it's not gonna be easy. There's the cross. I just think the temptation is so great as to be what Peter does. Run to what's safe, run to what's without tension and discomfort. A cross-free place. Margaritaville. But that's not what good friends do. That's not what big brothers do. That's not what Christians do. They don't escape to Margaritaville. Neither should we.